0: I can't stop. You're listening to the Sports Aid Vault podcast Welcome with me, Tom Gale. The second series of the Sports Aid Vault has been brought to you in association with Commonwealth Games England and the Team England Futures programme. This is our final episode of the series and we are recording live in person for the very first time from Sports Aid House at the Birmingham 2022 Commonwealth Games. Sports Aid House is the base for Team England Futures in Birmingham and we are delighted to be joined by our guests Anika Onora, Claire Cunningham and Letelo Mohamed. Track and Field's Star is an Olympic, World, European and Commonwealth Games medalist. She competed in the 1, 2 and 400 metres and starred in many successful 4x1 and 4x4 relay teams. She claimed bronze for Team GB at the Rio Olympics in 2016 and represented Team England at three Commonwealth Games, Melbourne, Glasgow and the Gold Coast, returning one silver and two bronze. Anika retired from athletics in 2019 and recently released a book called My Hidden Race. She currently sits on the Team England athletics. Advisory Group and is an ambassador for Team England Futures. Claire is a para-swimming and triathlon legend. Aged just 15, she burst onto the international swimming scene as she won five medals on debut at the Paralympic Games in Barcelona back in 1992. She also took the World Championships by storm in 1994 before retiring from swimming from the Atlanta Games. In 2009, she discovered para-triathlon and became world and European champion within her class that very same year she became the first ever female para to sit on the international triathlon union athletes committee in 2012 and is now the head of athlete services at paralympics gb Letalo is a two time Olympic medalist and one of the most recognised faces in Taekwondo. He won bronze at London 2012 under the spotlight of a home games and followed this up with silver in Rio. During his career, Letalo has also won multiple European and Grand Prix medals and is a leading voice on the sport through his broadcasting commitments with the BBC. Taylor was supported by SportsAid for three years in the build-up to London and has acted as an ambassador for Team England Futures alongside Anika and Claire. We'll be talking to all three of our guests about the atmosphere they've felt around Birmingham, what it means for a young athlete to compete at their first major games and how best to capitalise on increased exposure, both from a personal standpoint and for a less mainstream sport. Right, let's get stuck into this. Welcome, guys. and Yuka. this is a bit home from home. Previous life as an athlete, we're currently sat in the gorgeous sunshine, indoors, I must admit, but we're <laughs> overlooking the University of Birmingham Athletics mm-hmm. track. Were you ever tempted to bring the Spikes along with you as regards you to reminisce of the good old times, or is that firmly behind you mm-hmm. now? Is this the next <laughs> Absolutely <chance>? not. <laughs> no, everything's
1: just in the past, and I'm happy for it to be that way. Um, but I'm really, really excited to be here because... You know, this is, it's an opportunity for me to see the sport away from being an athlete. Like even being here yesterday, going to different events, everything just feels so weird, you know? Um And I, I'm able to just watch. Yeah. So when you're in a in a multi-sports games, uh, whether it's Commonwealth or Olympics, because you're so focused on doing your events and because track and field sits right in the middle of the, mm-hmm. the timetable, the schedule. And because of the events that I was doing, like I was either doing individual events and then a relay event there was no time to watch and go and visit any other sports but like to have the opportunity to see like emily air campbell win here you know weightlifting gold yesterday like this the arena was just electric and then um i think georgina kennedy as well Mm -hmm. in the squash so she was great um and then obviously being biased heck Actually able to watch the 100 metres yeah. on the home straight yeah. in the stands was, was amazing. So, yeah, great opportunity all around.
0: Claire, you've been here from day dot. So you're from day one based here with Team England Futures. You've seen a lot of sport. How's Birmingham been treating you?
2: it's been fantastic the stadiums seem to be absolutely packed out it's great to see sort of some of the more niche sports like beach volleyball getting huge crowds along the children just loving it all the entertainment and sort of the crowd inclusion it's fantastic it's just good to see families coming along to see the sports inspiring kids kids just loving it and it's it's just a brilliant atmosphere well the whole time i've been here
0: the Taillow first visit to to Brum. Are you were? Do you know this area well at all, or how have you found it?
3: You know, it feels like my first visit because I've only ever been here for Olympic kitting out. So I've never really seen the city. But as soon as I touched down, it's been amazing. The the energy, the buzz that Claire was just talking about. It, it's um, the city's really showed up for for these Commonwealth <laughs> Games. And yeah, it's just it's been great to kind of enjoy a games and not have the pressure of competing so I can just watch as, many, as much sport as possible because even when you go to a multi-sport games when you've got a job to do you can never fully you know sink in and enjoy it like you, uh, you can now so yeah it's been great uh, I've loved every minute of it so far.
0: Bit of FOMO, because it's probably a question you get asked a lot. Why is Taekwondo not part of a yeah. Commonwealth Games? Yeah. You know, is it like, oh, I wish we were doing our thing here in the middle of the... In the, in the yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit, especially being where we are now with the, uh, the Futures. It feels like a, a holding camp. Uh, as soon as I got here, um, the way it's all set up, it's very much how it used to be kind of at Loughborough before we're about to go into the Olympic Village. So it does feel like I'm about to compete. So, yeah, maybe a little bit of FOMO, but... I don't miss getting kicked in the head so <laughs> that always balances it out. I'm 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 cool not fighting for now and yeah, I'm just enjoying watching sports. So it's all good.
0: Claire and Yuka said she's a big fan of the weightlifting if I was asked to for yourself. Uh, honestly, I know swimming and paratriathlon triathlon connections, but has there been a key standout moment for you so far? Because this may date very quickly. There might be another massive moment still to come. But what stood out for you?
2: Oh, uh, I think I'm going to have to go with my own sport, the okay. para triathlon. And Dave Ellis was represented in England in the men's uh, PTVI para triathlon event. He had an absolute disaster in Tokyo. um In Rio, his category wasn't included in the Paralympic Games. He hung on in there another four years for Tokyo. He was almost unbeatable that season, and he's chain-snapped, um, so his panic games just ended um, mid-race, um, and I think he was absolutely devastated. I was devastated for him. He's such a lovely guy and just a hugely talented athlete. So to see him take the gold um, last Sunday to actually get his first gold medal at Major Games, it was just fantastic to see, and it felt like a bit of redemption for him.
0: And let obviously no tack on, no bean here, not to rub it in, but then <laughs> it does allow you to commit to other things, doesn't it? So there's no, there's no unconscious bias as regards to leaning towards... This is my thing. What, what for yourself, Is it, what's been the big attraction for you?
3: Um, I always lean into the combat sports a bit uh, more, so um, it gave me great pleasure seeing my friend Ash McKenzie win gold. He's now double, double Commonwealth champion in the judo. I've been watching a lot of the boxing. And, yeah, I'm a big athletics fan. I've just... Uh, yeah, it's great. I've just been able to enjoy everything. Sorry, this is a little bit off subject, but Claire's way too humble, by the way. We 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 were speaking all this week and she was talking about how she'd been to this games or that games. She didn't mention any of her medals. And I was hollering and talking loud, oh yeah, I got silver, I got bronze. She's probably looking at me like, yeah, okay, okay, young man. But yeah, that's 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 very impressive.
0: The use of legend in that. Yeah, real talk.
3: She's got more (laughs) major medals than I've got medals, period. So that's just been on my mind since you gave that introduction. I was like, what? to mention you won that much, but anyway, sorry. Yeah, I've been enjoying the games, it's been great, but <laughs> let's too humble.
0: <laughs> and you could Commonwealth Games, if I'm right, your first major senior championship, mm, is that right, back yeah. in 2006? So, mm-hmm. you know, an, an event that oh. has resonance for you. What was your, you know, your memories of that? You know, obviously, mm. is the very start of things beginning to happen for you as an international athlete.
1: Yeah, it was, it kind of happened. Um, it happened by mistake as well
0: okay go on please it happened do tell i
1: mistake. so i had so the team because it was held in australia the team was selected in the september of 2005 so right. the athletes okay. preparing yeah yeah could go into winter training knowing they've been selected and i went because i was still under 23 so i was like 20 21 at the time and i had a late breakthrough year, like 2005 season wasn't that good at all at under 23 champs. But then it got to August. Now my agent sent me away, compete and I was running really well. And then, yeah, I was running faster and faster, getting to September. Most athletes are tired. Yeah. And back then, like 11-3, was still a pretty decent time in the women's 100. Um. And then they told me I was selected for the relay in, at the end of September. So I was like, all right, great. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then trained right through. And then we got to the games in March, April. And then they said, oh, one of the girls was pulled out. So you, I had like two days. You're <laughs> here. Yeah, yeah <laughs> to compete in a hundred meters. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just to step out on the track was just electrifying. Cause it was the first event. It was the, fir- the first track event. It was the first event and I was up against Sadie Pearson yeah and um, she was running Australian, 100 meters yeah. at the time and obviously the Aussies are just like sport mad so like imagine London 2012 stadium course, yeah. but that magnified <laughs> by like 100 it really? was just yeah it was just insane it was just insane but I what I remember also about competing in the 100 meters is no one prepares you for um like what it's actually like to compete with like doing the prep, so obviously you know you warm up and you know all like going out there and having fun. But because I was the first event, I had to get up at like half four, sure, and like have breakfast at like five, five o'clock, um, yeah. half five, and then getting on the six o'clock bus to the stadium. And it's pitch black <laughs> and it's so cold. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's like literally you're preparing for the hair. Mm-hmm. You know, the first first day of a hair, and then you go through first, first you do your warm up first uh, core room, and then the second core room. I'm not messing, like by 10-9 I was exhausted, but then by the time I got out there on the track, I was like, wow, you know, I was just like super young and I loved every bit of it and um, I didn't perform that well in 100 metres, but once we got to the relay and we got that medal, like I knew this is what I wanted and I think the Commonwealth Games for me was so important because had I have not been given that opportunity, I wouldn't have known what it was like to compete at that level Mm -hmm. at a major Games. Yeah. So I always, like... That's why I always encourage athletes to... Like, whenever you're given the opportunity to compete at the Commonwealth, always make sure you do it. Like, don't think you're above the Games because you don't know when you're going to get selected again. Like, I know so many athletes who have missed out on opportunities, but they've been to Olympic Games or Europeans. But Commonwealth is different because, you know, they call it the friendly Games for a reason. So. Yeah, it, it was super important for me and, you know, thankfully, I, and thankful, and thankfully enough for me, I went to three of them as well. Well, there you go, and wow. it?
0: it? set you on your way. Claire, yeah. if we go back to your very beginnings, a teenager going to a Paralympic Games, you hadn't sat any GCSEs by then, you know, <laughs> and you wow. talked about the surprise element maybe for her, but you, you knew for a while, didn't you? You know, right, I'm going here. What was it like, you know, as effective as a young girl going to compete in your sport's biggest arena? Yeah,
2: yeah. I think... For me, I I wasn't overwhelmed, I was just excited. I was going to this incredible competition. I was swimming really well all year, so I had a lot of confidence. And I just was there with the sole purpose of coming away with medals and winning medals. Um, And it was, it was incredible. I remember the only time I went to an opening ceremony and did the athlete parade. And I think I had tears in my eyes. It was just that moment where you go, wow, I'm actually here. Um, And I, yeah, I think the whole time I was just really focused on performing. Um the crowds in Barcelona were incredible. Um... For the Olympic Games, a lot of the locals couldn't get tickets because they were just sold out. But for the Paralympics back then, you know, this is nearly 30 years ago, um, they were free. It was just a case of queuing up and getting in. And the Spanish, the locals, they came in droves to the extent my dad had to queue for, like, five hours before um, the final of my gold medal race just to make sure he could get in. And he he reckoned he had his lucky seat as well, which had the perfect (laughs) camera uh, camera angle for the screen and the podium and things. So... um, yeah, the, the atmosphere, even though it was an open-air pool, was just yeah. fantastic, incredible. And I think that was the first time I'd really competed in such a crowd, and I just loved it. <laughs> absolutely loved it.
0: Let's tell you, can and, and Claire speak so passionately and, and so positively about... Can you remember what... I guess what we're trying to ask you that for Team England Futures, a lot of these guys and girls, they're on the cusp, are Yeah. It might be four years away, we know sportworks sport they could be in Paris in what... Yeah almost 18 months, less than two wow. years' time, isn't it? It is that sort of... Cha- how easy or difficult was that from you, from going from age groups where you perhaps got comfortable, didn't you, know, as we were progressing through things, and then you step up into a big multi-sport arena? How, how, how difficult was that, a transition to manage?
3: It it is definitely a transition but let me just touch on the commonwealth games quickly because i had a commonwealth games experience myself although taking those not in it i never competed but my parents took me to manchester 2002 so when i was 11 and just seeing um you know feeling the atmosphere of a home games seeing the superstars at the time mark lewis francis dwayne chambers denise lewis colin jackson it really impacted me so I kind of still feel like my journey started with a Commonwealth Games because yeah. that's what really gave me the inspiration, motivation, just being in the stadiums, seeing what it was like. Um, and obviously then 10 years later, I was at a home games, my own home games in London. But making that transition, um, it, it's difficult for me. The biggest thing was just, I think, the mental side of it, the confidence, and that just came with always... Are doing well at each level I was at, so you know under sixteens under eighteens, and I remember stepping up into senior for the first time, really not being confident, not being sure, and when I started to win it, it just it slowly um, kind of dawned on me like oh wow'm um, all the things I was visualizing, all the things that um, I was hoping I could do one day it 's now coming so I think the biggest thing about making that transition uh, for these young athletes that hopefully we will be going into. Uh, Paris in 18 months, is that confidence, just that self-belief. And for me, a Commonwealth Games, is the perfect kind of incubator for that. So, yeah, it's, it was the confidence, the, the, the mental side of it more than for me than anything physical, really, making that transition.
0: Claire, does, does youth help? It's obviously, very personal to your experience, but I don't want... Naivety and the, perhaps a little bit of the unknown, isn't it? You know you know your sport, don't you? You know how to swim. You know this is what you yeah. do. I know occasions will change and you could talk about protocols it's international it's the olympics paralympics so many more eyes and ears on it but do you think obviously having those experience as a youngster sort of sometimes just helps break you in i guess really
2: i think for me the naivety definitely helped and just the fact i was too young to probably really appreciate the scale of what I was doing. I know definitely four years later when I we went to Atlanta, it was completely different. I felt completely different. I had a lot more sort of expectation on That's me, like, that, on myself. You had a big target on your back, I y- guess. So. Yeah, I think so. It was as much as the expectation I put on myself. Um, my lead into Atlanta wasn't as good from a performance side either, but I think, no, everyone's different. So for some people, it is actually quite overwhelming. You know, Anika spoke to about all the different call room protocols and things, and that's really different at games. And everything takes longer. You, know, you do have to get up at a silly o'clock in the morning <laughs> to compete five hours later, where you wouldn't do that in um, like your own sport championships. So I think it's really important that athletes get exposed to these um, environments so that they can work out for themselves. Okay, how did I feel about that crowd? How would I feel if I was performing in front of that? Would it be a positive? Or do I actually need to find some ways to kind of cope with that? And I think that's where this sort of programme is so important, just to help athletes find their way so when it comes to their time for real, they can make the most of it and just focus on their performance without having to worry about any of the other bits that go with it.
0: I guess then you What we said. I don't want to call this a free hit, but you know, it's it's people behind the curtain and allowing that exposure. I don't know if there is a definitive rule, but when did you start to feel comfortable at a major champs? Because you talked about the first experience; it was a bit of a surprise. Mm-hmm. There was then expectations, and as you know, your performance gets better over the years. You're not peaking necessarily in your first few majors. Was there a hard and fast rule for you after a few major games where you were like? okay, I've got this now, now I can probably start to challenge for medals, which obviously you went on to do.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think, um, do you know what, there's no, there's no straight line or there's no, you know, quick quick model or process in terms of how it does. You, it's, I think it's one of them, especially in my sport, where you just kind of learn on the job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot of learning on the job. Um, and especially being young and then making it into, going from junior and going into senior level, you just kind of learning to become independent learning about your events learning about you know the processes of how you how you manage yourself or manage your own expectations how you manage your schedule at a um major champs and you know to get, so to get that first-hand experience of being at a commonwealth games in melbourne where i felt like i was like a baby of the team you know and um, like leto was saying i remember the commonwealth trials in 2002 and i was like 17 i think mm-hmm. 17 and i was desperate to make the commonwealth team because it was a home games it was down the road from my house in liverpool so it would have been amazing even though it would have been it's not completely out of reach because worst case scenario I would have made the four by one team but just being there and being amongst all these people um who i would watched on tv so to then be on a team with them four years later one thing i always used to do which i always encourage athletes to do as well is to ask questions to your peers. Yeah. Like, don't be afraid to ask them questions because that's literally how I learned um, how is to talk. it. So, is is there a bit of a, some,
0: from the outside looking in, you think, oh, I don't want to bother such yeah. and such because they're big time and I'm yeah. here, my oh, but
1: gosh, you feel
4: definitely power through that, yeah? <laughs>
1: there's, there's definitely that because you think, oh my gosh, like, I used to watch you on TV, now I'm on <laughs> team with you, like, I'm sitting in the food hall with you. But most of the time, they are really nice, they are really approachable. Um, just ask you know what's the worst thing they could do the worst thing they say is no and then you ask someone else you know even if they say no someone else who you may also look up to would be able to give you just as much good advice so I would definitely say you know ask questions because everyone's everyone's processes and everyone's um you know career is different Mm -hmm. so how someone else manages their level of success or expectations Mm -hmm. are going into you know, a performance is different to how someone else manages it. You don't necessarily need to be like a big time athlete, you can just be someone who's just been on teams or just been on the course, finished fourth or got bronze, but isn't necessarily winning gold medals and stuff. So, I think it's important to get a variation of balance.
0: And let's tell you the beauty of obviously multi sports is I don't know, you tell me, do you learn from others? Obviously, in an Olympic arena when you're mixing with track and field, triathlon swim you know sports that have literally very sim- no similar characteristics do you find yourself sort of taking little bits from conversations with team gb or other international athletes as well from
3: other different spheres you absolutely do and some of my best memories from my olympic experiences was seeing uh those legends from other sports like i was very blessed to you know see a kobe bryant a lebron james and ashton eaton and kind of just to tag on on what anika was saying there is success leaves clues so just by watching people even if they're not necessarily in your same sport or if you've if you're brave enough to go and ask questions <laughs> <laughs> to them. I wasn't quite that brave when I first got to an Olympics, but just even just by watching them and seeing how they conduct themselves, seeing how serious they were about their craft and how passionate they were, it it really does inspire you. So. Just a hundred percent. If you're brave enough, ask questions. If you're if you're not so brave like I was, at least watch. You know, not in a stalker way, but just, kind of <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, From just the yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally, literally, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, do, well, do, as an experienced athlete now, mm-hmm. and obviously have the panel, the only remaining current active athlete is that part of the the remit and the tapestry now that you go to a major champs and you probably expect that younger athletes, yeah. if it's within taekwondo or multi sport games, that it's part of your role to sort of pass on a few a few bits don't you, you know and absolutely. help them ease their transition
3: too yeah absolutely right you want you want to pass it forward and um that's something you know any young athletes that are watching or listening to this um 100 percent. if you see a hero or a legend or someone you look up to tap them and ask them a question because within taekwondo that's definitely what helped me to, uh, get to the next level talking to people like you know sarah Stevenson, our first ever uh medalist in the Olympics. It, it Having her like uh, as a mentor, it really helped me tremendously, having like that kind of big sister or big brother. So yeah, I, and certainly now that I'm in that position, it is a responsibility. I think we could all um, mm-hmm. agree yeah. to that where uh, we, it's, it's an honor to kind of pass it forward and any tips and any, any advice we can give to help the next generation of athletes c- accomplish their goals and you know, feel like we did uh, getting on major podiums. It's a pleasure to do.
0: So there we have it, Team England Futures, pester, pester. Well, no, pester's not the right word. <laughs> 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 Ask questions yes. at the right time. Don't be afraid to be see center. your idol and say, you know, empower yourself. You know, this is your career. You know, they're investing in their futures, aren't Absolutely. they? Absolutely. Let's focus more on things in Birmingham, Claire, then. So what, what's the athlete village? You know, someone who's been here on day seven or eight, we're not quite sure as regards <laughs> to it, just describe the when an athlete arrives at a major champs. what are they experiencing on a Team England perspective here?
2: Yes, yeah, so I think a um, key difference with the major champs is having the Athlete Village is really secure, so you have to be accredited to go in. I know there's been long queues because of the COVID testing as well. I think when we did the visit the other day with the um, Team England Future group, they said the shortest period of time to go in through that accreditation process was two hours. So that experience alone is really good to kind of understand. Um, the village itself, um, because it's one of five in Birmingham, um, I think it's probably quite a bit smaller mm. than we would normally see it. Other games, but it's still got the same vibe about it, same feel. It's still got the same facilities, so the dining and um, the way the accommodation's set out. Um, from what I saw, Team England done a fantastic job of just providing really good performance facilities within the apartment blocks, um, and just creating, you know, making sure it's clear that all the flags are up, everyone knows where Team England is. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a key difference in Commonwealth Games is some of the smaller nations they like to make their presence known, <laughs> and you get a real sense of culture the yeah. different um, nations in the Commonwealth Games where in sort of the Paralympics, and I'm assuming the Olympics is similar, everyone's there to do a job and they're head down and they're focused and, yeah, there'll be a little bit of chit-chat and stuff, but it's a very different vibe. And So the yeah.
0: guard's not quite as high, maybe, in the Commonwealth Games in terms there's no secrecy. We're all here to compete and have a good time, I I guess,
2: think yeah. so. I mean, we said earlier it's sort of known as the friendly games and that's definitely my experience when I did it in 1994 and, again, sort of from what I felt in the village a few days ago go very much so everyone's here to support each other and just yeah competition is fierce and everyone wants to win but at the same time they're here to enjoy the, sort of, the atmosphere and what a special event it is
0: well taylor when you're here it's obviously business time isn't it yeah. how, how how do you manage the athletes village because you know speaking from my own experience i was very gotta focus on me do my own thing but there is a sort of buy-in to that don't you You have to sacrifice you have to get up at certain times. you have to catch a bus with everyone else what was your key experiences in terms of managing an athlete village and effectively not letting that come to the detriment, to that environment detriment to your performance?
3: I think what helped me a lot was, although you never know what you can fully expect but we were very good uh, having a plan before we went into the village, you know, in the holding camp we would pretty much schedule everything so I knew what times I was going to be training, I knew what times, and with me Uh, I was I was making weight when I was in the um, when I was in the villages so I could never overindulge in (laughs) the food hall like I wanted to anyway (laughs) that was after I fought so um, I think just kind of sticking to the schedule uh, having that communication with your coach and with your team but at the same time enjoying it for what it is it's it is a once in a lifetime experience and you know seeing uh, superstars of other sport, you know, enjoying some of the culture and the, the vibes that come with, that only come with being in an athlete's village. So I think it's just balancing that schedule, having that clear plan, knowing that you are there for a job, but also uh, just leaning into some of the fun aspects as well. The, the best, uh, the best part for me was always the food hall. I don't know about <laughs> oh, yeah. you, two, I love yeah. that. I love it. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, come on, that leads in nicely. could come on. Don't need to name names, but this is what. <laughs> Us as the public and spectators, we want... Trouble? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely trying to get you in trouble, but come on, what go, I know what goes on tour stays on tour, yes, but if does. you can't incriminate people... <laughs> is it all ultra-serious till you've competed and then everyone sort of it's, it's accepting that once you've competed, you can let your head... I know the swimmers often get this, don't they? Oh, they're my they're God. In, they're, oh, peak, peak games, like they're in the first week and then they party all the second week. Is that, is that the reality of an athlete's village?
1: I, I feel like the swimmers are the worst <laughs> <laughs> because they're so... Loud.
0: We'll come
3: back to you shortly. Not you personally. (laughs) Not you personally.
1: But because maybe because the athletics sits in the middle of the schedule, so you can, like, they're up early anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um. So and they're always on first, first couple of games, first couple of days. But because we start in the middle, and we're then up early, they're just coming in from a night out, (laughs) or they're sitting in like last night's clothes, and it's like ten o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And they're drunk. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's,
0: you know, but it's cool. Like, but we said, but, you just, but I guess it, being option. prepared that that might actually be a reality, isn't it? You know, yeah. some people, it's the blast games or they think I'm never going to yeah. be here. Once they've done their thing, they might want to self indulge, I guess. That's yeah. I,
1: do you know what? More power to them. Yeah. I mean, I'm saying all of that, but yeah, <laughs> just it is literally just like enjoy yourself. You know, I think as athletes, we go through an, a lot, you know, just body, mind, soul, just to get your, your mind right, like your body in peak physical condition. Um, you're trying to make weights. Yes. And it's difficult. Um, and especially as a sprinter, you know, myself like tapering tapering down into like days into trainers, into, you know, competition. It's hard for me as well. So um, yeah, once, the, once you're done, like enjoy yourself, enjoy going around meeting people, enjoy, you know, partying, um, having different experiences, meeting people, you know the things you weren't able to do before because it's limited you don't even know if you're going to get this opportunity again and you know it doesn't matter how your performance was whether you you got you get a medal or not um yeah you should be able to be proud of yourself because even to get here and to make a team is hard enough in itself so yeah
0: and claire if you can as a teenager with that because i suppose there was certain safe you know chaperones you know you were you were competing in an adult world weren't you so mm-hmm. how can you remember what was that again you've mentioned naivety but yeah. did that all pass you by or were you conscious of i'm just a 15 year old here but i'm in and around people who are in their 30s and this is their games and they need to be here and deliver how was how that
2: yeah i think i was definitely aware that i was right, one of the youngsters of the team there were about three or four of us who were of the same age so that was quite nice that we could um sort of hang out together and do things together and um, one of them was Sarah Story actually um so um but yes i think it becomes more real the sort of age difference after competition is finished because you know when you're under 18 there are more precautions you do have to go back and have a curfew and things like that which at the time is really upsetting and really frustrating <laughs> because you go don't want the
0: go. to <laughs> <go out laughs> and
2: you don't want to be treated differently you're on the team you want to be treated the same but clearly you know that can't happen um so i was very happy when i turned 18 and could actually indulge with everybody else <laughs> Let's say,
0: Claire's such morning, culture is, yeah. you know, a big thing. And this is what a lot. I speak to a lot of athletes and they talk about travelling, isn't it? And sometimes it is hotel to hotel or whatever in regards to the circuit. But major champs do allow you some opportunity, I'd hope, for a bit of downtime to immerse yourselves into it. What have you found in Birmingham and how is that compared to some of your experience, obviously Rio and home games in London about... Just picking up a sense of where the games are at and getting that real feel of authenticity
3: i think it's um the culture vibes have been very strong in birmingham uh like i said earlier it does feel like the whole city's really got behind these games and it it reminds me a lot of london uh, where it felt like the whole entirety of london got behind the games and i feel that same energy here um the other thing when it comes to culture is just that 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 mix of culture—it's great, you know—working, walking around Birmingham City Centre and seeing the Kenyan team, seeing the Jamaican team, obviously seeing the uh, the Brits and Team England and whatnot. So um, that that is a massive part of it, and yeah, I think it's one of the great things after you've competed as well. I mean, just talking about the the parties and <laughs> uh, and everything—that is a fantastic um, place to be—an athlete's village after you've competed, especially if you've um, uh, if you've Done what you wanted to do. If you tick the box, if you've gone to get a medal, if you've gone to get uh, a certain performance out of yourself, and you've and you've nailed it, there's nothing better than um, uh, athlete village after parties. To be very frank, yes. yeah. having it and yeah, and just from experience, Team Jamaica know how to party. That's for sure. <laughs> oh my yeah. goodness, yes. So is this wow. in
0: recent days? Is it sorry?
3: Uh, <laughs> I don't know from recent experience. Uh, okay, so <laughs> it's your previous. Right? Yeah, exactly. What to
0: the village stays in the village. Yeah. <laughs> Right, so we did mention we are recording this live. Uh. This is how we roll here at Team England HQ. We are delighted to welcome gold medalists in the 81 kilogram weightlifting. Chris Murray's in the house. Come Come on, on, Chris, come and have a seat.
3: And he looks like a weightlifter, too. (laughs) Fellas i can lift a truck, man. Oh, my goodness.
0: Chris, welcome. Thank you. Um, I think we're, again, Time of recording, 48 hours on, roughly, you know, two day or potentially two nights sleep, but I'm maybe going <laughs> to... That might not be the case, but how are you doing? How's it feel? How's it feel?
4: Uh, yeah, I'm still, on, I'm still on cloud nine. Uh, I've just been here, there, everywhere. It's been a hectic couple, of 48 hours, but I've been, I've been loving it. I've been loving life.
0: It's the setting, because we've got the glistening sun, but it's just rebounding off that beautiful gold yeah. medal, which is proudly hung around your neck. Nice. No offence, I don't think you were the favourite, were you? you? weren't as a guy, go- you know, you people didn't see you as large. I think a lot of talk about India, you know, it was theirs, pretty much. It's a classic case of you've been here and you've taken your opportunity. Was was there anything key in terms of why you were able to execute ultimate perfection on the day, do you think?
4: Um, do you know what, I, going into it, I knew it was going to be close. Uh, weightlifting, you only get six lifts and the person who makes the most lifts often ends up winning, you know, and um, I had full trust in my coaching team who, who made great decisions and I just lifted whatever they put in the bar and thanks to them it was enough to, uh, to snatch the victory from you. right, the favourite, maybe the, the Aussie or the, uh, the Canadian who are both very close from, to taking it from me, but um, luckily we, we just about got the calls right.
0: And I think it's fair to say you're doing a bit of fangaling in the crowd, were you? Because you were there for the weightlifting, so you saw this man lifting and doing his thing. How was that? Yeah,
1: unfortunately, I just missed your event. Oh, oh,
0: man. Sorry. (laughs) So you heard the vibrations and stuff, and that's what gravitated you back That's exactly what it was.
1: But I did see Emily yesterday. Mm. And, yeah, just just being there in the arena, like, I'd just seen nothing like it before. It was like, I don't know, it was like a big party, (laughs) just sitting in the stands and... Um, just seeing athletes you know from different countries like everyone's actually really supportive of each other like yes obviously there's bias being English but then when you see athletes from like the Cook Islands or Mm. India or Sri Lanka like everyone's just like lift heavier, get that weight (laughs) up like you're all of that so yeah
0: well, have you ever experienced a noise or an environment? You know, because that's the you know again we've talked about we can prepare we can prepare people can tell you about home games but until you're ultimately producing the performance in your life and you're getting that back from the crowd how, how was that?
4: Yeah, I mean that crowd is something that I have never experienced. Um, we made we made a big effort to try and get out to some of the competitions before and just to experience what that noise was going to be like. Mm. But you. You, until you step on that platform and you're there and all of those shouts are targeted towards you, you don't know what it's going to be like. And it it was truly incredible. Talk us through those celebrations. I'm pretty sure it's easy to find on social
0: media if you if you, if you you search in there. But it just looked like raw emotion again. What, what was that, that you'd won the gold or you'd surprised yourself or you and your team had just got it spot on on the day?
4: So at the point of my final lift... Um, I think that had put me guaranteed me a medal not the gold because I knew there were a couple uh, guys still to come out but for me that was you know six out of six lifts personal bests in both you know performance of a of my life and to do it in front of that home crowd was something truly incredible I mean it was hard not to celebrate after every lift with the noise (laughs) that they were making but um no I, I came off that platform just so happy with how I'd performed, that I was just so overwhelmed. I just I just went back. I I hugged my coach, who's my the team coach, but also my personal coach at Loughborough, and and then yeah, just went went back to the back room and just broke down it was just so <laughs> overwhelming yeah it was, it was incredible it's a good point chris makes there
0: Manage, we talk about home games and preparing for maybe extra pressure exposure but in game management or in competition management of a home games so you go through rounds don't you as well mm-hmm. so going back to london 2012 how difficult was for you to not get carried away after you progressed through each round, you know, and and save and and sort of harness that environment, the buzz that was following you, I guess.
3: It's definitely a balance because that's the part you can't ever fully prepare yourself for. And again, kind of going back to having a plan, um, the plan actually was for me not to do any interviews uh, in between uh, after the matches, just kind of stay in the zone and stay focused. But I scrapped that plan pretty much straight away because when you win in front of a home crowd, and you see the microphone you see the camera you just have to let that see energy out lights. exactly exactly so it's kind of a contradiction so i think kind of going in there with a plan but also just being relaxed enough to know when you can change um uh, that plan and just it uh, enjoy the moment enjoy the moment i have to ask though because i know weightlifting is a um a weight making sport just like mine was have you enjoyed the food hall <laughs>
4: <laughs> now that you've won your gold medal do you know what? I've probably eaten less the last what? 48 <laughs> hours than I have uh, going into that comp. I mean, it's just it's just the hectic um, last 48 hours. I mean, I've just been, like I said, here, there, everywhere, BBC, ITV, which is incredible. Podcasts. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. And this is the, the most future. important one, obviously. <laughs> but, um, but, no, it's just been, yeah, going everywhere. I've been snacking on bars and, you know, drinks and stuff like that, but it's just been... Uh, I haven't really had much time. I actually... Finally, I, I chipped my tooth two days out from competing, oh. and that really affected how much I could eat okay. because anytime I ate something or drank something, it was really hurting. But we had the um, dentist on site fix me up straight away, and the day before, I was all good to go. But I had a good 24 hours where I was like, Eating and drinking was just pain I mean I was incredibly dehydrated, my weight just dropped really? massively two days before. Oh gosh, well now you've got a cool pre games ritual. I you know
3: what <laughs> it works. A a tooth before yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just
0: touching upon what Chrissy said there, Claire, preparing for success, you know, is that a con I know we were sort particularly with swimming as a young teenager, but is that something you would encourage for team England futures regards to Maybe at least, not getting too carried away, but thinking about, right, if I achieve all my goals and all of a sudden I'm a gold medalist and BBC, ITV, TV, radio, social media, they all want a piece of you for that two two days or depending on when it falls. Is that something you can prepare for or would you recommend athletes to consider
2: I think it depends on each athlete whether, you know, that could actually be quite a negative for some and add to the pressure that they put on themselves. But, yeah, it is a whirlwind. There's lots of opportunities that come your way that you want to make the most of. I know when I came back from Barcelona, um, my mum, before I went, it was adamant, you're going back to school the next day you, <laughs> you um, get home. And I think we got home on the Wednesday and I'd be invited to various events in London the, the following few days. You can go back monday <laughs> <laughs> so at least she let me enjoy a few days of um, the events and things but yeah it is a whirlwind but i would just say as well just soak that up because you know especially in the home games that opportunity is not going to come around again soon um if at all so <clears throat> it is a case of making the most of it if you do have to sacrifice some meals and along the way there'll be time <laughs> for that burger and chips or whatever later so no absolutely
0: it's a tough question to ask chris well sorry i mean i'm still gonna but when do you think the significance of what you'll do, what you've done, sorry, will hit you? Because obviously, rightfully at the moment you're on that clouded but you're in Birmingham, Team England, and you've won the gold. It was a Commonwealth Games record, I believe. You know, it can't get much bigger in terms of this occasion. You just if you don't do anything again, is this just the day you know that you'll just be like, wow, you know, I couldn't have asked for more.
4: Yeah, I mean. It's come in little bits. I don't think it's fully hit me, but uh, there's been moments when I've gone, wow, like, this is actually crazy. And I think even just being on the interview, I mean, I was on BBC yesterday and we were talking um, through Emily Campbell's performance, which is huge for weightlifting because weightlifting doesn't normally get that sort of a spotlight. And just being a part of that, being you know, making weightlifting a little bit more accessible, showing it to people that might not have seen it before, and maybe getting a few more people into the sport is just something that I'm just so happy to be a part of. but I am waiting for that big, that penny to drop. And it's coming in little bits, but it's still, it's still so weird getting stopped and asked for photos. Oh, you're that weightlifter. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, that beaming smile doesn't seem to do he's dropped, mate. And rightfully so. Massive, massive congratulations. Another thing Chris has rightfully pointed out, and it's a key thing of this episode is support team. Because, you know, Chris is out there lifting the weights, but he rightfully alluded to the role that his coaching team played into us. Claire, this is, this is part of your gig now, isn't it? In terms of your after your second career is as an athlete support manager. So, for those who, just for the benefit of the podcast, just explain what an athlete support manager for Paralympics GB. What what does that entail then?
2: Yeah. So, for the past four years, I've been head of athlete services at British Paralympic Association. Um, been fortunate enough to go to two games in a support role um, in Beijing Winter Games. As also deputy chef de mission, which was a real honour. And my role is really helping athletes prepare through their sports um, for what their environment is. So, what is the village going to look and? feel like what are the distances between accommodation and the food hall and transport what are the travel times between the village and competition venues and also working with friends and family because games environment is so different there's so many more limitations and restrictions and actually being able to see your friends and family because they can't just pop into the village to see you um, even in the venues there's a lot more security so it's actually preparing friends and family to understand that environment and you know, they have a plan with their athletes about you know how they're going to communicate and then also a lot of the sort of more of the governance side of things so supporting athletes so things like anti-doping safeguarding welfare mental health so i work across all the sort of 22 paralympic sports to support our athletes just to ensure that they have the best experience and the best platform to perform when they go to a games
0: and, and you can, i'm sure teaming England futures probably are aware of this but if they don't that when you go to a major champs for someone from athletics where you have your personal coach don't you so back in mm-hmm. liverpool someone who came through and gets to a major championships like this it changes doesn't it if you, you, you might be fortunate that your coach is on that setup but by and large it's hopefully someone who knows you well but it is someone you don't quite have the rapport with so how did you go about managing the sprints coach for example yeah. or various team england managers or team gb as you got so these new faces that come to support you
1: well when the team selected they usually have uh, an appointed um, lead on each feature event so the jumps, the combined events, the distance um, and for us it was we had a sprint coach so it'd either be uh, usually a male or female so they would oversee the whole sprint team plus the re- each individual athlete, plus the relay teams as well. Mm-hmm. So they would manage everyone's training and um, training schedule, their events, but also how that fits into relay practice as well, for how we can prepare. You know, because usually Team England do quite well in the relays as well. So yeah, I think um, I think it, I think Melbourne, my first one. I was, I was quite fortunate, so I had Paula Dawn, who's now the yeah. oh. team leader mm. for, for, G, oh, for the British, British team. Bri- yeah, British Athletics. Um, so, yeah, she was always on my neck for so many things, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I learnt a lot from her, because she also won her first medal yeah. back in... Well, I'm not going to say how old she is, <laughs> but a long time ago, she won a Commonwealth medal back in the 80s. So she, I learnt a lot from her. So, so learning about how to get up at, you know... 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Being on time for the events, the call room. You don't want to you know, make sure that you're eating properly. You want to be able to prepare all that. I literally learned all of that from Paula. Yeah. So if it's not Paula, it's a different coach. And you kind of get to learn a lot about them because but a lot of it is down to you and how you perform, how you prepared. Because you're not be, going to be able to have access to your own personal coach. Mm-hmm. but Because your your coach can only take you so far. Yeah. When you get into that warm-up area. yeah. You should know what, what you need to be what needs to be done. Like that's you should know that, at the back of your hands. And then when you get out on the track, like it's all systems, go.
0: And Latello, a key part of Team England's future is that it's not just about athletes, the next Chris, it's about the next support staff as well. So the next Paula Dunn in terms of exposing them to the environment. I don't know if you've spoken to anyone, but just your overriding thoughts on just acknowledging how important support staff are and allowing them to come through those same journeys of going to the call room, catching the bus, going to the eating and celebrating, partying. Will your support team out with your partying, Chris, as well? Don't want to guilt anyone. You know, <laughs> anything,
3: so.
4: um, not yet. We've got a uh, team meal tonight, which I'm sure all the coaches will be there. Very nice. good answer. Though. Team, team, meal. Answer. team <laughs> meal, interterm, <laughs> team party. Well, so, yeah, so
0: let's say that benefit of acknowledging, you know, support, you know, you do the majority... But support staff play a very pivotal role in getting them on that journey and exposing them if they are new to this environment will only help them.
3: It's it's massively important making sure that they're exposed to this environment because support staff do play a crazy important role. I mean, in my experience, and I'll be interested to hear what Claire and Anika say as well, I feel like the best athletes uh, are always the ones that lean into their support staff. Um, uh, You know, the, the guys and girls that win most most, usually they have a great support team and they, they really take that side important. Like um, for me, uh, I was lucky where my coach, uh, my sports psychologist were allowed in the village. So um, I was able to really get the same benefit that um, uh, from them as I got at home uh, in my normal training, normal competitions. So yeah, it's, it's massively important. They play a massive role um, helping us perform to that uh, to our highest level so yeah having that pathway is just as important for the support staff as it is for the athletes. and the pressure
2: on the support staff is the same as on the athletes. You know, they yeah. want their athletes to perform at their best and mm-hmm. they know that this is their moment to yeah. shine. So they feel that pressure and they want to do their jobs as best yeah. as possible and they can be equally overwhelmed by the experience and the occasion yeah. as much as the athletes. So for them to understand how it operates and, and to be comfortable in that environment, is just as important as it is for the athletes.
0: So Chris, I'm sure rightfully, lots of questions have been asked for you, but what we want to do is show support for the sports team. So who would you like to thank in terms of, you know, who's played a key role for you in terms of winning that gold medal? Who would you say?
4: I mean, on the day that coaching team of Stu Martin, uh, Dave Sawyer, Andy Cullard played a massive role in winning me this medal. I mean, it was a technical, uh, tactical victory as much as, a, you know, my performance. Um, but I mean, in the, in the lead up, I mean, we've had sport, sports aiders supported me through TASS and the National Lottery and all of those people have played a part in me getting to where I am now and ultimately the performance that I did on Monday. Claire, from
0: the support services background, who who was the perhaps unsung hero as regards to yours? Because I think we've probably rightfully, your parents In the was there someone that yeah. you felt was, like you say, <laughs> an, an unsung hero and part of I your think my year?
2: physio. Um, my physio just kept me injury-free for 18 months leading into the Rio Games, which, considering I had some pretty serious injuries before, that was just incredible. And they also, I don't know what it is about the physio bed, but you really open up and start talking <laughs> to your it's physio. Like it's like therapy. therapy. It's yeah. like it's therapy, therapy for therapy the real. On therapy. And, oh. Honestly. Close the door,
3: let's have a chat. It's crazy. Yeah, it's
2: you're lying crazy. on this bed yeah. and completely manipulating you, you're just opening your heart to them. And um, I definitely did that a lot. So my physio, um, Gemma Jefferson, was absolutely unspeakable song hero for me.
3: Taylor Yeah, I have to say the physio uh, a medical uh, team for me was big. We, <laughs> we went through a lot of changes at t- GB Taken, though, so it's almost too many people to mention, but uh, certainly for um, Ben Harper, James, uh, for strength and conditioning, it's, it, it's, like I said, almost too many people to mention, but definitely the physio, definitely my strength and conditioning coaches were amazing. Obviously my coaches. Um, it's such a massive team. Sarah, uh, a sports psychologist I leaned into her a lot because like Anika was saying at the beginning there's a lot of mental pressure uh, competing at the highest level that the general public doesn't generally see mm-hmm. it's starting to become a bit more of an open conversation now especially after the last Olympics in Tokyo it became a bit a bit more open to talk about uh, that kind of thing but that was um, uh, yeah the I, I, I was blessed to have a great support staff for every single games. And uh, even though the faces changed a lot, the consistency of uh, effort was was just second to none. So I was very, very grateful and very blessed to have that.
0: And for you, Anjiki, you talked about Paula Dunbar. Is anyone else you think who has just been, you know, constantly in the background there, maybe not seen as the most glamorous role, but was helping <laughs> you deliver on the day, I guess?
1: Yeah, I would probably say, I mean, my. I'd probably say my support staff I went through a variation of coaches, mm. which came with a lot of physio, so my list would be extremely <laughs> yeah. long. You I don't
0: want to of, offend anyone. But no, not, of course not. not but it, so. Everyone's there. Everyone knows.
1: <laughs> um, but I would probably say, that I think one of the people who was consistent in my career was my psychologist, Donovan Pyle. Mm. So he was amazing. I actually still speak to him to this day. God love him because I don't know why, but <laughs> he's still helping me even now I'm retired from the sport. Um, and he was so key in just seeing how my mind works and, you know, when I'm going through any type of stress or anxiety or I'd always overthink a performance, he was just always there. And he'd give me, like, little cues on how to manage my race, manage the expectations, but also go out there and perform. And then I'd probably say my biggest one, who were definitely unsung heroes, but always shouted the loudest was my family. Yes. So they were always key and so pivotal. Um Because I come from a big family anyway, and as you know, a sporting family, So, again, expectations, because my brother played football, my other brother played basketball. I was like the golden child. (laughs) (laughs) You said it. I did. (laughs) So, um, yeah, but they were always so, so supportive. Like, it didn't matter where I was racing, whether I was racing in the UK at like British trials or whether I was competing abroad, they would literally always support me or be like, kid, do you need anything? Like, we're always here, you know. It doesn't matter how the performance went. They were always front and centre in making sure that, you know, I got the best out of my career. So, yeah, I couldn't have done it without them.
0: OK. Bounce-back ability, that's what I've got written down on my sheet. I think <laughs> it's par for the course, isn't it? Not everyone's going to have an experience like Chris, you know, standing at a home games, top of the roster, and people can come in with big expectations. And unfortunately, Taylor, they might be going home bitterly disappointed for a variety of reasons. Underperforming, things beyond their control. You obviously... Rio, yes. you know, you wanted the gold. Absolutely, denied in the closing second. The last into, second. Yeah, no, keep it real. <laughs> keep okay. it real. One last second sec- remaining. Yeah. That gold is taken away from you. You are you. You know, you didn't walk away from the sport. You still want to succeed in the sport. What's key? What would your key message be to anyone who does, maybe not replicate exactly the same scenario, but comes away from Birmingham thinking, I, I didn't get what I wanted out of this championships.
3: Well, I think the first thing is just to have that period of time where just be honest and open about your disappointment if you were in fact disappointed. I think one of the major benefits to me having a interview that went viral after I lost um, the Olympic final was, it was almost a sort of therapy in a way, because I was able to just express my emotions and get my disappointment out or actually not even disappointment. my devastation out Mm. because when you train your entire life and you have the dream from a little boy i mean i i had uh very crudely drawn pictures with crayons with olympic rings and me on top of a, a podium and actually me and my dad planned out 2016 because we knew that's when i'd be um first started my athletic peak so even though i was i was blessed and i got the opportunity to compete at home in london 2016 was always the goal that's when i was going to win gold so literally it felt like a lifetime of family expectation personal expectation and desire and drive to win gold at the 2016 olympics and to have it snatched away from you literally with a millisecond ago, it was devastating i just remember the feeling it was like the the earth was gonna crumble from underneath me and I was just gonna sink in, it was really um, a trying time at the time. But again, getting that emotion out, just being, if you have someone to talk to, for me as my parents, you you know, great to have a sports psychologist and whatnot, and just accepting it and the great The great thing for me, which allowed me to accept it over time and keep going moving forward, was that perspective and I was very fortunate that perspective did come very quickly because I got to see my opponent uh, Jak Seasay from the Ivory coast go home to uh, to the capital city and the entire country stopped and I saw what it did for him and I saw what it did for his nation and honestly that made me feel really happy because i i I saw what it did for the continent as well of Africa. Taekwondo, my sport, is now a major sport on the continent. And I think deep down when I was watching, I thought, you know what? That's the bigger picture because I know I couldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would have been big here in the UK, obviously. And it would have been nice for me. It would have been nice for my family. It was a lifetime goal, yada, yada, yada. But could I have inspired the entire continent to take up a new sport that they had no interest in before, (laughs) and now? Um, African nations are a major force in this combat sport. No, so seeing the bigger picture, seeing what it can do for somebody, uh, a nation, a continent, that perspective, seeing that bigger picture was literally my silver lining. So I think the steps were being open, getting that emotion out, Again, I was fortunate to have my therapy on live TV. (laughs) With millions of people watching, I mean, oh, gosh. I mean, I'm I'm still a little bit embarrassed about crying on TV, but it it happened, it happened, it is what it is, and I guess it worked for me. And um, uh, the next step, if you can get that perspective and kind of see the bigger picture and get some uh, deeper understanding, that's what helped me and that's what allowed me to move forward to this day. And um, now I can look, uh, look back at it really fondly because the third step was just kind of realizing and being pleased with myself because i did my absolute best i did my best i couldn't have left i couldn't have done anything more and that in itself is satisfying that okay i did my best i really wanted to wanted it to be gold but i did my best and it happened to be silver but the most important thing is i did my best so um, that was kind of a process, and that's why I'm still smiling today.
0: It's <laughs> <laughs> that word, Claire, process. Letalo's articulated there how the journey he did to deal with that. Yeah. You rightfully pointed out athletes maybe don't prepare for success, as Chris is going through now, the whirlwind media interviews. It's probably the same as well, they don't prepare for failure. Mm. Is that then maybe more on the support team, isn't it? Just to perhaps be aware that if this does go pear shaped, this is our plan to get you back for because that next major competition is going to be the next cycle and you, you're up and running aren't you it's 2023 20, before you know it.
2: Yeah I don't think it's if I think it's when it may not be at these games but at some point in an athlete's career they're going to have a bad event a bad competition they're going to get injured in, in you know, an awkward time it it happens it's part of being an athlete unfortunately so um, I think actually it's really important to prepare for how um, as an individual you're going to deal with that lean on your friends and family your coaches the psychologists the whole sort of support team around you and you know and it's also for that support team to be you know aware of different personality types and how people need support some people like to be left on their own to sort of just mull things over and then they'll be ready to talk other people just want to let it all out straight away and then they'll just move on um i think the key thing is is being able to Process and then just leave it behind you mm-hmm. and look forward, and that's you know how you then prepare for the next competition and just take the learnings but then forget the rest of it. You know, it will happen and uh, just accept that and move on.
0: And you can, will, and this is I'm not saying you can relate to this from personal experience, but I'm sure you've seen other athletes. What's an athlete's village like in that about when you've not done well and you are seen mm-hmm. again, not to point not to Chris is wrong to the athletes walking around with the medals <laughs> and you're maybe just like. Get me out of here! I don't know if that is an experience oh, well, you've yeah, seen others. Happened. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, how, how do you do that? How, how do you get through those remaining few days of the back end of a championship? Um,
1: well, for for me, I was quite fortunate because even if I underperformed in my individual, I always had the yeah, relay the to yeah. look forward to. But then, last the last Commonwealth Games we had in Gold Coast, I didn't get an individual medal, and I also we finished fourth in the relay, so it was just missing out. Oh. But I was also. Um, in a place in my career where I'd already pretty much achieved everything Mm -hmm. it was just about capping off you know a a great championship plus I knew it was my last one but the expectation was also a little bit higher because I was co-captain of the team as well but I also enjoyed it Mm -hmm. you know Um, but honestly just it's all like have your moments of like disappointments and feeling hurt or sad but also be happy for other people so I would I would generally be happy for you and you know you know, em- embrace this moment because you don't know when you're gonna get it again. There's mm. no, there's no rule book to say, oh yeah, you're gonna win it again in the next mm. four years, and I hope you do,
3: because <laughs> we'll all be watching. Mm, um, but you know,
1: you-, you don't know when you're gonna get that opportunity. Um, like, I think when I competed in every every Olympics, for example, I went to three Olympics. So Beijing, London, and Rio. Beijing, I didn't do that. I didn't even step foot on the track. I went as relay. Mm. I didn't get selected, and then. 2012 um what happened oh i bombed out (laughs) in the 100 and 200 going through a lot personally my father passed away um six months prior so that was personally hard for me to deal with and again competing in the home games expectation but then i knew i didn't want to quit the sport because it was so easy for me to do so the next four years was just dedicated towards rio and even that journey to rio there was a lot of highs but there was extreme lows as well but then to have that moment, stand on the podium. And we won our medals on the same day. Yes, we did, I <laughs> remember that. Yes. A
3: little bit of bling. Come on.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, being, again, being happy for myself and the team because of what I went through, but also being happy for your teammates as well, oh, like, yes. to see that video. And everyone's like, "The us I went viral. And I'm like, what, he did? <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, just, like just basking in it in his happiness and being happy for the rest of the team that did well and it was the same for the Commonwealth Games you know there's going to be athletes who are going to be disappointed have your moment of disappointment but like be happy for other people as well because everyone's journey to the Games has been different so yeah hopefully give yourself an opportunity to have more in the future.
3: I think that's so powerful what you said about you know your own journey your personal journey and that was huge for me because I think A lot of my disappointment came from comparing myself to others. I mean, I grew up and I idolized people like Linford Christie, Michael Johnson, uh, Muhammad Ali. And I remember when I got bronze or silver, I was just so angry with myself. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm ruining it. I've not got a perfect record like Michael Johnson. (laughs) And, you know, I've not got a gold medal like Linford. And, you know, it's it's trash. You know, I I really was hard on myself. And I think that narrative kind of changed in my head when it was like, well, hold on. That's their story, this is my story. This is my journey. Yeah. And that's when the sense of pride really came into my, I guess my life and my career was when I, I stopped comparing myself to other legends and uh, and what was really crazy. I mean, when you get to meet those idols, like Daley Thompson and Michael Johnson, and they're really proud of you. You think, what, how are you proud of a silver man? I flopped, but they're like, no, they're really, they're really happy to see you. And they're, they're really, and that's what kind of, grew in me when i just started to lean into this is my story this is my journey it's not perfect but it's mine mm-hmm. and that's when i really started to appreciate and have gratitude for what um i did so anyway i just want to say <laughs> no, that no. because when you're talking about your journey that that was really powerful to me chris
0: you've talked about the media attention how much do you feel now i don't know if there was something you were prepared for like i guess you've been adopted now as an ambassador for weightlifting aren't you because you're you're the best you're yeah. you're, the, you're the poster boy for <laughs> weightlifting now is that something you ever thought about and then equally so how is like the thought of i don't know in 20 years time someone saying i saw chris murray in birmingham smashing it and then i went down to my local gym or whatever and the journey started you know talk us through that responsibility others i don't want to use the word minority sport you know not as mainstream we get our moment in these in these major games as well and it's important to capitalize on that to showcase the sport you love
4: Mm, no definitely i i love I'd love to be an ambassador and a a good role model. I think Emily Campbell has put such a good step forward and has been such an amazing spokesperson already after the silver medal at at Tokyo. And we've seen such an increase in weightlifting participation already. And to keep that going after our success, the team success in um, Birmingham is really exciting to see what the future holds for English and British weightlifting. Um, I mean, weightlifting, I truly believe, is a sport for everyone. It's a weight category sport and you know, minimal cost as well. You know, you just need a, a bar and some weights, which lots of local gyms and lots of clubs do have. So I recommend if it is something that anyone listening or anyone um, wants to take part in, it, it truly is for everyone from the smallest 49 or 55 kilo male or um, female. To, you know those those big girls and guys who who want to get active and 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 find a sport that they're truly passionate about
0: and Claire for those para athletes that are here at the games as well this is the games with the most amount of para athlete medals as well do you feel, do you fit i don't know is obviously comes into this but is there a bit of a responsibility to maybe if you've had that golden moment to sort of really embrace it and showcase your sport and who you are as an individual because you know the whole see it and you can be it angle of it
2: yeah absolutely and you no. Know- this is a fantastic opportunity for power athletes and those who are lucky enough to have events here to be able to showcase power sport, their particular sports, their particular disabilities as well. And you know, we've seen Maisie Summers Newton won gold in the pool the other night. She talked in the interview beforehand about how she was inspired by Ellie Simmons, who was interviewing her. And now Maisie's going to be inspiring future generations of women who may be short stature, who maybe love swimming, and that they can become swimmers. As well, and you know, hopefully see some success from that. Um, and I think this is what's so special about having Power Sport included within the Commonwealth games like this. It does give that added opportunity and showcase moment to an audience which perhaps doesn't hasn't already seen Power Sport, but they now have, and perhaps they'll go and seek out, you know, a world championships or something else to watch in the future. So yeah, I think it's really important and hopefully we'll see further growth in Power Sport going forward.
0: And you, I think there's, I'm not sure athletics is not alone, but I think from the outside looking in, everyone's like, oh, you track field superstar, you get well paid, you're all this. We saw Jay Lally, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry, well, he was that loud? Silver <laughs> <laughs> medalist, was it on the opening night of the discus? The next day, she's crowdfunding to say that she can't afford to go to her next competition to prepare for the Europeans. I know that's her specific story, but there is a comment that the benefit of sports aid, but also when you've had that moment as a amateur support, I use that in. To, yeah. to quote, to tell it quotes, but to embrace that as well because funding is key and getting your story and your background could maybe set you up for a next cycle or even two or three to, to come.
1: Yeah, hundred um, percent. I was so proud of Jade, you know, winning her medal because I know she's been on so many teams and she's just missed out on either podiums or making finals on the world stage. And to see, so to, to see her as a mother as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just win that medal is incredible but you know i know Jade's journey personally like she was um taking off funding a few years ago and she's just been self-sufficient since then and living between the uk and australia raising a family all of these different things and i think it's important to you know that she's in a position now where hopefully she'd be someone who could have their profile raised where she can get sponsors where she can crowdfund unfortunately because that's the way some of the athletes have to go down you know mm-hmm. you hear a lot about you know um go and help to support towards an olympics or a commonwealth games or any championship because competing at this level is is intense and some people can't are not in a position to do it full-time. I, I also went through the same stage where I was taking off funding on and off, on and off throughout my career. So I had to get a full-time job. Um, I also was supported by Sport A, to shout out to them. <laughs> um, but again, I also had to make, cause I was living in London at the time, it was expensive. So to supplement that, I had to work, I had to work various jobs and train and try and make the Olympic team. And I don't know how I did it back then, <laughs> um, but you know, you make it happen. and. I don't think it's as easy as people think because i've always said this the average person couldn't do what we do Yeah. like the average person doesn't can't you want to be able to maximize your talents so it's easy for people to say oh we'll just give up if you haven't got enough money or just retire but you don't know that person's drive yeah. you don't know the vision you don't know the sacrifices that they've gone through in order to do that um like jade's literally a mom and she's a full-time mom, and she's trying to supplement her career as well and be successful in sport. There's no reason why she can't do that because you've seen the likes of Jess Ennis-Hill do it. You've seen Shelly Ann Fraser mm-hmm. do it. Um, so, yeah, hopefully the likes of Jade will be able to be supported even more into the future and hopefully in the lead up to uh, Paris, which is the next games as well.
0: And I tell you, you're living proof of you don't know where that post-event interview goes. You know, you went viral, but then I suppose you didn't envisage that five years later not four years later the bbc would be asking you to effectively the voice of taekwondo on free to air broadcast of the biggest sporting events that we see on the on the on that stage so you know in terms of i'm sure that wasn't a conscious thing but (laughs) when (laughs) these when they come around and people know your name they know the story and you can talk well about something you love that that has a huge benefit to participation levels
3: absolutely absolutely and just kind of carrying on from what Anika said, it's about maximising uh, your moment and uh, your time in the sport because and a lot of athletes, the, the financial side, it's not a side that people want to talk about but none of us are playing football, none of mm-hmm. us are doing like a, a super, I, I saw you <laughs> nod your head. <laughs> no, you know, we, we're not getting the million dollar contracts like um uh, are in other sports so um and i think really that just emphasizes how important organizations like sport aid are uh, because it's it's one thing you know getting a handshake getting a recognition but getting a check Bills, <laughs> yeah okay. you know yeah that's what that's what makes um, the uh, the biggest difference but to answer your question more directly yes you never know who's watching and you never know what opportunities are going to come so for me you know maximize those interviews maximize that moment that uh, especially in minority sports, when you have the spotlight on you. I think um, one great thing for athletes in this generation is social media. You can leverage social media, you can uh, capitalize on the moment even more. You don't necessarily have to have a camera or a podcast microphone in front of you to maximize your moment. But I, my advice would just be do everything you can because um, yeah, it, it, it's fleeting. It's fleeting. So uh, maximize it.
0: Chris, I'll start with yourself. Not necessarily what you think the legacy of Birmingham 2022 what what do you want in terms of you the role personal role that you've played with with weightlifting what would your legacy post Birmingham 2022 want to be
4: I know that's a tough one but that is a tough question I like I said I'd love to see more more athletes and more younger athletes come to weightlifting I think weightlifting as a sport has normally seen the um athletes athletics rugby come in later into our sport after they maybe haven't been successful in their first sport. I'd love to see people see weightlifting on the TV and go, actually, I'd really like to try that at 15 or 14 years old and really start getting people in younger and start really developing that youth team so that in a couple years time, I mean, Emily set the standard now as that silver Olympic medalist, but I'd love to see some of these new guys come through and start putting up some more goals and really start challenging you know the chinese uh, the chinese team and the russian team and and i uh, start to become a powerhouse on the uh, on the on the weightlifting uh, platform
0: for you claire uh, birmingham it's had the most para medals available it's all for, for the first time had the majority share for female mm-hmm. medals as well we discussed off air there was issues some people feel as though their para category is not respected yet from the commonwealth so it's a working process but on the experience you've had so far. What would you like from a para-sport perspective to see the legacy of Birmingham 2020?
2: Yeah, I think just more people being aware of power sport that it is elite sport that our athletes are incredible athletes in their own rights, and perhaps more people get involved in power sport if they have an impairment and they don't have to become elite athletes, but just get involved and be active. And um, hopefully, the accessibility of these games has been incredible as well. So perhaps you know, just having a more accessible city in Birmingham in itself is just fantastic and hopefully inspires other cities to do likewise and just make it easier for people with disabilities to live daily lives um, I think is so important Um, but no I think you know it'd be great to see more power uh, medal events and future programs I know the athletes who have had the opportunity here have absolutely loved it Um, it has been really special to them and hopefully they can share those experiences with their teammates
0: And we talk a lot, Nika, about diversity, but geographical diversity. We obviously had the Games in Manchester, we've had Edinburgh, London is still, understandably, wherever you sit in this country, seen as the epicentre for major events. How important do you think someone who competed at Alexander Stadium for a number of years to see that part of a major multi-sport games now just shows other places in the UK that you can do this, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Alexander Stadium looked incredible when I went last night. I, I don't even recognise it. I was, I was saying to one of the guys, I felt like I was walking into a Beyoncé concert. <laughs>
4: because, not
1: literally, but kind of, because you walk, like, you've got the outside and you've got, like, you know, loads of stalls and stuff and it's very really cultured, like, multicultural, obviously, to emphasise the cultured and Birmingham. Um, and then you're walking in there and it's just like, it's just incredible. And I saw Jess Ennis last night as well and she was like, yeah, I missed my opportunity I really wanted to compete like look at the crowd and I was like girl not me
3: like not me like
1: I'm good like I, I loved I just loved watching the athletes and allowing them to have their moments you know from a spectator side but you know I think as Brits I think we do we do such a fantastic job of holding like events like major major events um you know we've had 2012 we've had 2002 we've had glasgow liverpool almost won the bid for this as yeah, well yeah and mm-hmm. uh, we were so close but you know birmingham have done such a fantastic job of holding it so i think it's important that we other cities around the uk are given the opportunity because there's so many facilities there really are uh, i'm also hearing that birmingham may host the next european Championships to make use of the alexander stadium as well yeah so it's used for other other and you know, championships in the future, because, I mean, you don't want to leave somewhere like that sitting empty. Mm -hmm. And Birmingham have have proved that, you know, they do a fantastic job of holding it. So, yeah, I think it's important that, you know, other cities in the UK are given the opportunity. So I'd love to see a lot more.
0: let obviously, as a London boy, but I know you train in Manchester, you perhaps are aware of the legacy of London 2012 and, you know, having a skate park with the BMXs and the swimming pool and and the stadium as well. It's important for Birmingham as well, isn't it? Because it is such a culturally rich epicentre for the for the country here in the Midlands. But that the Aquatic Centre doesn't, you know, it continues to expire the next generation of swimmers and all the infrastructure. The revamped Alexander Stadium brings more athletes to it. That's part of the legacy as well, isn't it? Not just being here for 11 days, you want to see the benefits of this in 10, 20 years of the next generation of hopefully Team England Futures athletes coming through.
3: Absolutely. And I think you've said it there the greatest legacy any games can have is to inspire a generation and being, I was a young boy at Manchester 2002, and I know what that did for me. And it just makes me excited to know that there's some 10 year old, some nine year old watching uh, in the crowd at this event, Birmingham 2022, and they're gonna go on and hopefully do big things one day uh, because they've been inspired by what they've seen here. So I think um, to touch on what you said, the, the, I'm very optimistic that that's going to be the case here again because we do a good job of it. We've had mm-hmm. 2002, we've had um, uh, Manchester, we've had Glasgow, we've had London 2012. So I'm optimistic that that trend's going to keep on going and that this event will inspire, you know, the next generation of Team England athletes as it did for all of us.
1: And people show out as well. Yeah. Like hmm. Like... All the stadiums, like every event is like sold out. It's crazy. Or it's packed like 90 plus percent. So it's just, it just goes to show like we are proper sports mad in this country mm. oh, we do oh, love sports
3: we do and shout out to the DJs as well the music yeah. has been on fire yeah. it's just Yo, it?
1: it's just a different I don't vibe. know whether to watch or
3: dance
0: that, man yeah. know, you know. Well, that's just but those are the, the nuances and the details yeah. that make the difference it, don't it, yeah. it
3: really yeah. really does concert vibes yeah. and great sports amazing speaking of yeah
0: well. someone who's speaking of who gets off the train at new street and smiling faces where you go and hear where you yell this is the quickest way to that this is what it's all about it isn't really it it really is yeah it really is well thank Thank you, Anika, Lateo, Claire, and our surprise guest, Chris. Thank you very much for joining us. You can find out more about SportsAid and Team England futures by visiting sportsaid.org.uk or checking out at Team SportsAid on Twitter and Instagram. The SportsAid Vault podcast is produced by Hogarth, Worldwide Gramercy Park Studios, and our theme music is courtesy of Vidal Riley. You can check out his latest releases on Spotify. And there we go, that's a wrap, guys.
3: And that was great. Thank was you very much.
4: It, yeah. oh, I loved yeah. it. it. Thank you for, like, loved yeah. it. <laughs> yeah.
3: Could have gone for another hour, to be honest. I was just getting warm.
4: <laughs> it was getting warm yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe that was the was sun, not actually. Not <laughs>